Good morning, Total Grace family, and welcome again to uh, our 30-day devotional where we are seeking the Lord through communion for the last 23 days. Uh, you and I have met in this sacred place. We have communed with the Lord, and we are here again on day 24 uh, to continue our communion. We thank God for you being here with us this morning as you come into this sacred space. Uh, would you share this page? Would you subscribe if you have not already? And then thirdly, will you share it with a family member, friend, loved one, someone who needs a word from the Lord? We are grateful to God this morning as he has brought us to the close of another week. It is now uh, Friday, and as we've come to Friday and, and the weather patterns around the world are, are out of whack, we know one who is still trustworthy, one who is still able to save and deliver and set us free, and that is uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the risen Christ. As we come on this morning, saints of God, we're going back to the book of Revelations, the book of Revelations, uh, chapter number 12, powerful word found here as we uh, find ourselves again in this book. And I love how our communion devotional has taken us uh, through the Bible. And as it takes us through the Bible, uh, we are uh, understanding what God is saying about this covenant uh, of grace, the covenant of the blood of the Lamb, and also understanding how redemption works. And redemption, we know according to the book of Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So we thank you for coming on board this morning and sharing with us. I pray now that we transition uh, now and, and let's go to God in prayer. Let's go to God with our worship. Let's go to God and just ask him to come in to be with us this morning as we seek to understand him in his word. So let's pray, saints. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you uh, that you kept us on last evening. And as we rise early this morning, while the dew is yet on the roses, God, we know that you uh, have a word for us this morning. And Father, we pray that this word, God, will speak to us, that it would open our hearts and our minds uh, to receive what you have to say to us. We pray for those who are listening this morning, God. We pray that you would strengthen them where they are. And we pray that you would open their minds and hearts as well, God, that they may receive from you. We thank you for what you're going to do, God. And, and we fall on you now, God. We fall at the altar as we say thank you, God. Thank you for every way that you've made. Thank you for every door that you've opened. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. This is our prayer in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, saints of God, meet me. Revelation, the book of Revelation, uh, chapter number 12. We're going to begin reading at verse number 10. Revelation chapter 12. We're going to begin reading at verse number 10. It says this out of the NIV. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority, I want you to underline that, of his Messiah. For the accuser of the brethren and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Hallelujah. 
we thank you for coming on board this morning and we thank you uh, for sharing in our scripture reading our prayer thus far uh, let's unpack this text saints of God there's so much in here uh, as we look and look to see what God is saying as we uh, push toward communion this morning so so now the writer John John gives us now this image of what he is not just seeing but hearing in heaven when John begins to write chapter 12, he, he now gets down to verse 10 and he says he hears something. It's not enough that he is seeing things that he is unable to articulate. Now John says, I hear something. What, what do you hear, John? John said he heard a loud voice. He does not give an indication who the voice is, but he hears a voice. And this voice declares that salvation, deliverance, freedom, and the power, this first word power here is dunamis, the power of the kingdom of our God. Here in this opening statement here in, in verse number 10, John is saying that the power of God's kingdom has now been established. It has, the freedom has come to it as a result of something that's going to happen in the later part of the verse. But the power, the dunamis of the kingdom of God, I want you to remember that when Jesus comes to heaven, to earth from heaven, that Jesus comes teaching about the kingdom of God. He comes teaching about the kingdom. This kingdom that Jesus is teaching about is a kingdom of freedom, a kingdom where humanity and God can now dwell together again, walking up under the sovereignty of God. When God established his kingdom within, within the earth, he is doing so from a spiritual manner. One of the misnomers that the Jews uh, had about Jesus and his coming to the earth is they thought he was going to set up an earthly kingdom. He said he was, they said that he was coming in the likeness of David to reestablish their kingdom. But what they misread about his coming was it was not an earthly kingdom. It was to reestablish what was lost in the garden. You see, the garden is a, it was a type and shadow of what was going on in heaven. And just as there was a war in the Garden of Eden, there was a war going on in heaven. And now Revelations chapter 12 exposes that there was something going on. And this war was that Lucifer, Satan, was trying to overthrow the kingdom of God. But the, look at what the word of God says here. He said the power and the kingdom of our God. And then he says, and the authority of the Messiah. A different word for power is exousia. So he starts first with dunamis. Dunamis power in the kingdom. But then he says, Jesus, the Messiah, the messenger, has exousia, meaning all authority. He has the right to govern. He has the right to govern. Why does he have the right to govern? Well, let's continue to read. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accused them before the Lord day and night has been hurled down. He has been cast into the earth. You see, saints of God, the enemy stands before God, accusing, him, accusing us before him of the deeds that we have done. Now, we know this to be true, for when you open the book of Job, in Job chapter 1, uh, God asks Satan, where are you coming from? And Satan says, I'm coming uh, from to and fro, from within the earth. And there is uh, hedges around the people, men and women of God. And then watch what God does for Satan. He says, have you considered my servant Job? That God offers Satan an opportunity to tempt Job. 
And he gives him some parameters. He said, you can do whatever you will to him, only don't touch his life. So what does the enemy do? The accuser of the brethren. He took his finances. He took his family. And he almost took his faith. But look at what Job says in, in chapter 1 at the conclusion. He said, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken, oh blessed be the name of the Lord. What we can learn from Job and what we can also glean from this text this morning is that when we put our ultimate and complete trust in God, no matter what we lose in this natural world, that we cannot lose our faith in God. We cannot lose our trust in God. For the temptation of Job shows us that the enemy will go to all lengths and to all extremes to destroy what God has established in us. Yes, God has established something in us. He has established the relationship. He has established a residing place. The Holy Spirit resides in us. And what the enemy wants to do is destroy that. And so he hurls trial after trial, test after test to get you to break up under the pressures of this world. But I come to declare to you this morning that the enemy is a liar, that he is bound on every side, and that he cannot have what God has anointed. Can you say that? That back to me this morning that I am anointed for when you say that you are anointed what you are declaring within the heavens and in the earth is that I am smeared with the presence of God I am covered up under the blood of Jesus and that no weapon that is, that is formed against me will be able to prosper but what the verse does not say it didn't say that it wouldn't form it said it wouldn't prosper and so if you're seeing attacks this morning know that they will not prosper if you're seeing trial know that they will Will not prosper if you're going through a difficult season today know that it will not prosper why because we're smeared with the presence of the Lord and so here in Revelations chapter 12 uh, in verse number 10 uh, John begins to tell us that Jesus the Messiah the messenger from God he has exousia he has authority he has authority. I find it interesting here that John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, does not call him Christos, the Christ, the anointed one, nor does he call him Yeshua, Jesus. But what he calls him is by his prophetic name given by Isaiah, Messiah or messenger. Messiah or messenger. You see, if you go back just a moment where he talks about the power of the kingdom of God, when Jesus comes, Jesus comes as a messenger from the kingdom of God. He comes as a herald, as a trumpeteer, one who is announcing. If you remember in Mark chapter number one, when John the Baptist was out and in the wilderness on the countryside and he was preaching, he was preaching, baptized, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. And when Jesus shows up, he picks up the same message, yet he takes it further than John the Baptist could ever take it. John was talking about repentant for repenting for sin and coming back to God. But Jesus ultimately was talking about the redemption and the establishment of this kingdom in the lives, lives of the believer. He calls him Messiah because when Jesus shows up, he comes with a message. What is that message to you and I this morning? It is a message of hope.
It is a message of assurance. It is a message that will not and cannot be destroyed. He tells Peter, Jesus tells Peter, when, when he asks Peter, who do men say that I am? And some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. But it was the Peter, the apostle Peter, who stood up and said, no, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's in that moment that Jesus says, upon this rock, I build my church. Why did he build his church on the words of Peter? Because he was the messenger sent with the message to honor God, to worship God, to keep us, you and I, in perfect peace and to keep us in a place until redemption could come by way of the cross. It could come by way of the cross. So let's continue. So look at what Satan does. This accuser of the brothers and sisters who accuses them. Look, he's just not accusing us in the daytime. He's accusing us at night. He's accusing us while we're before the Lord, while we're working, while we're going about our day. He's accusing. And while he's accusing, he's telling lie after lie. Look, Lord, they didn't stop to commune today. Look, Lord, they didn't stop to pray today. Look, Lord, they didn't do this or they didn't do that. He brings a legal argument that has already been defeated because our defense attorney has never lost a case. Our defense attorney sits while he's making these accusations. That's the scene that Reverend Revelations 12 paints that this is the courtroom of God and the enemy is sitting there as the prosecuting attorney announcing all of our sins before God. But our defense attorney is sitting there waiting for his turn to plead our case. And when our defense attorney, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, pleads our case, the only thing he does is to lift up his bloodstained hands and shows the judge God. He shows him that look at the nail prints that are in my hand. Look at the blood that's running out of my side. Look at the water coming out from baptism. They have been redeemed. They have been forgiven. I feel glory in here this morning, saints. They have been washed in the blood of the lamb. And so every time the enemy tries to accuse us of not walking in the fullness of our call, not being smeared in the presence of God, point him toward the cross and say there's a savior who came and died on my behalf and one friday night he laid in a borrowed tomb of joseph of arimathea but early on sunday morning he got up with exousia power in his hand the exousia that has authority over heaven and in earth and so now in verse 11 it gives us the victory for today and this is what you and i must hold on to where's our victory is found in verse 11. it said they triumphed they triumphed. How did we triumph in this life and how do we triumph in this life? We triumph by the blood of the lamb and by the word of God. The blood of the lamb, the blood that was shed because atonement, atonement to remove the barrier requires a blood sacrifice. To remove the sin guilt requires blood. And so the blood of the lamb, Jesus in this text is Messiah, he's the messenger. Jesus in this text now is the lamb. He is the sacrifice that goes before God on our behalf and now is consumed and the blood is shed according to the Levitical law that now you and I can come back to God and be redeemed to be purchased back, to be pardoned is what we've learned thus far when we looked at this in this revelation text. God reveals in this text to the Apostle John, he reveals that victory is always present because of the blood. 
I think I said something there. I want you to grasp this morning that your victory in this life is always present because of the blood. And so when we plead the blood, what we're saying is we have victory. When we talk about, I plead the blood over my children, what I'm saying is my children today will have victory. When I plead the blood over my job, what I am saying is when I go in these doors, I have victory. When I plead it over my business, what I am telling uh, my business partners and what I'm telling my business is we have victory today. Why? Because we're covered under the blood. And in the blood, we have triumphed over the enemy. It is through the blood that we have victory in every area of our lives we try oh, by the blood of the lamb and then he says look at this and and not only the blood and by the word of their testimony testimony is a two-part word you can't have a testimony without a test and the testing was will you choose christ or will you choose the world and this phrase here indicates that those who have triumphed, those who are walking under the blood, have made their confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. They have renounced their sin state, accepted their kingdom citizenship, and now live with Christ in his kingdom. You and I, the moment we confess, that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. How can they hear without a preacher, a proclamator? How can he preach except he's been sent? But then it talks about in Romans chapter 10, that confession is made unto salvation. That confession, the words that we speak are made to salvation. So I want to frame this by reminding you that life and death is in the power of the tongue. And so as we confess Christ, as we speak Christ, as we honor Christ, we must denounce some other things. For if we do not denounce the former life, we become double-minded in all of our ways. And so when we confess that Christ is our Lord and Savior, we have denounced that sin state. The Holy Spirit then comes and resides in us as faithful believers. And through our believers, we've passed the test. We've passed the test. And I question you this morning and I, I pose for you to ponder as you go throughout your day. What test is before you that you need to pass? What test is being pushed upon you that you must overcome? You see, for the testing of your faith, it's the process used, according to the Bible, to purge out the impurities. To purge out the impurities. This, this image of purging out impurities comes from uh, the process of making gold. Whenever we make gold, whenever they make gold, they heat, heat up gold to a certain temperature to the point it's boiling. And as it's boiling, the impurities rise to the top. And those impurities are skimmed off the top, removed from the gold. So the gold then has a purity factor. Well, saints of God, what God has allowed in our lives are tests to come. And those tests has, have removed the impurities from our lives. They have removed the, the ills from our lives. And God skimmed off sin and he skimmed off iniquity. He skimmed off all the things that were not like him. Now you and I can come before God pure and holy because of what we have been through. So they say, so John says here that we overcame by the word, the word, the word of their testimony. That they confess Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they renounce sin. And look at the B clause in verse number 11. They did not love their lives. You're talking about martyrs. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That they did not run away from what was pending. 
death. When John is writing this letter around AD 80, the persecution of those who followed Jesus was at its height. They were killing Christians and putting them on stakes and burning their bodies as they lined the streets. And as they did this, they were trying to discourage and dissuade people from believing in Christ because they said, if you believe and if you openly confess, you will end up like those who are lining the streets. Paul was uh, one of those people. If you remember before Paul became Paul, the writer of 13 epistles of the New Testament, Paul was named Saul. He was a bounty hunter. He was one who was going around persecuting and killing Christians, and he had the authority to do so. But if you remember on that fateful day when he was trying to go and do the bidding of those who controlled him, Paul ran into someone who was stronger than him. The Bible says a bright light knocked him off his beast and spoke to him in a divine way and said, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the pricks? And here Paul remains blind for three days. But God leads him to a man by the name of Ananias on Straight Street to straighten Paul's theology and to straighten Paul's mind in order that Paul might be a vessel used by God. And it was on Straight Street that Ananias put his devoted and loving hands on Paul. And when he laid hands on Paul, Paul received sight. He received not only sight, I want you to catch this, he received sight. He received his ability to see in the natural again, but he received also insight, his ability to see in the spirit. And thereby, Paul now is able to go and proclaim Jesus. Sits at the feet of Gamaliel, who now instructs him in opening the scriptures for him. And Paul becomes a mighty follower of Jesus Christ. No longer a bounty hunter, but bound to Christ by the blood saints of god we've done some things in our past like paul that we are not proud of but thanks be unto god when we renounced it and we tied ourselves to christ and when we confessed and christ made atonement for our sins our defense attorney we are now free to go and like so many others in the new testament share with others the goodness and the mercy of god amen Saints of God, this text is rich and it is full. It is full with revelation of how you and I can walk in dunamis, the power to move things. But we can also walk in exousia, the authority to speak those things as though they be not as though they were. Because that power, that authority comes through Jesus Christ, through his shed blood and what he has given us because we have confessed him. Saints, grab your communion this morning. I pray as you meditate on this, and I pray as you consider this text this morning, that you will consider all that is in it, that ultimate salvation and ultimate power, it comes from God, and it's available to you and I. On the night that Jesus would be betrayed in a large upper room with his disciples, he regoes or he rehearses or he goes through again that fateful night in Exodus 12. He lifts bread before them and he says, this bread is a new covenant. And he breaks it, my body broken for you. And he breaks the bread and he says, eat ye all of it. Likewise, he looks at the cup and he says, this is a new covenant, which is in my blood, in my blood. 
And we've triumphed by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. He says, drink ye all of it, and they did. After eating from the bread and drinking from the cup, Jesus goes out and he prays. He goes out and he kneels. He lays before the master. And he has a conversation that was unpleasant, yet needful. Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Saints of God, there are some things that we want to walk away from. But God is calling us to go through them. There's somebody watching me this morning. There's some things that you want to walk away from. But God is saying, if you go through them, victory is on the other side. Yes, it will be painful. and You may lose some friends and you may lose family members. But go through it. Go through it with your head held up. Knowing of a surety that God will strengthen you in every place that you're weak and that he will not leave you in moments where you're tempted to fall. But Christ, by way of the Holy Spirit, will be there to lift you and hold you through every trial, through every test. And victory is assured. It's not a might. It's not a maybe. We can know of a surety because of what the text says today. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. So go through it today. Go through it with Jesus and receive your victory. Walk in your power. Walk in the authority God has given you. Amen. Saints, as we close today, we want to remember those on our prayer list. Uh, we want to remember uh, another brother that was added on last night. We want to lift him before the Lord. Um, dear brother, we want to, want to lift him. And as we lift those on this prayer list, we want to lift you as well. And I thank you so much for 24 days of communing and devoting yourself to the Lord. But I also want to thank you for staying committed to God. For there is one thing I know for sure in my life is as I commit to God, God reveals how committed he is to me. He has withheld not one thing from me that I needed. And what, what a loving father does is he's even given me some of the things I've wanted. And I thank God for that this morning. Stay with the Lord. Let us pray. Most gracious and eternal Father, we thank you. We thank you for communion. We thank you for the victory you give us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, as the enemy accuses us, God, he accuses us of so many things that you've already forgiven us from. And so this morning, I, I pray that our minds are freed from the accusations of the enemy. The battleground of the mind is the place that the enemy goes to to war with us, to get us off course. And so, Father, we bind those accusations in our minds, bind them in our hearts. We bind them in our spirit. I pray for freedom, God, that we may move forward in you. And I pray that through our trust in you, God, you would reveal to us your perfect will for our lives. For you know the plans that you have for us, plans of blessings and not of curses to bring us to your expected end. And so we put you in remembrance of your word this morning concerning our lives. And Father, we speak it by faith that we will obey as you lead. 
Now, Father, those on this prayer list, we lift them before you. We pray that every need is met. Father, every desire according to your will is met this morning. We pray for strength for the trial. We pray for clarity for the trial. And we speak victory in their lives in the name of Jesus. We thank you for what you have already done. We bless you for what you're about to do. Thank you for strength to make it through the day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Saints of God, that has been my time this morning. Praying God's blessings and peace upon you. And until we meet again tomorrow, walk in grace. Walk in the favor of God. In Jesus' name, amen.